Good morning. Welcome back to second service. We haven't done this for a little while. Um, so last Friday, I was down in Rocky Ford going to the Ark Valley Fair Parade. Um, Melody plays in Sun City Marching Band. Uh, she actually plays bass drum, which if you know my Melody, she's about that big around. So when she has her bass drum on, you can't even see her. Um, so Melody was down there playing, so I went to the parade, and we're watching the parade, and I'm sitting there with my aunt and uncle. Um, I've, if you know me, you know I have a ton of family in Rocky Ford. We took up like a whole block watching the parade. Um, and so I'm sitting there with my aunt and uncle, and you know, in the parades, I always have the first responders, you know, come by with the fire trucks and the ambulances, and the SWAT truck came by. And so I'm sitting there with my uncle, and he says, I wonder what SWAT stands for. And so my aunt picks up her phone, and she goes, hey, Siri, what does SWAT stand for? My uncle rolls his eyes. Uh, Siri comes back and says, to hit or to slap? (laughs) Uh, We have, um, in our time, in our day, literally all the information in the world at our fingertips. Uh, And it's just an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. Um, to have all of that information um, accessible to you. But the the little Siri example brings up an important point. With all of that information, how do we know what's true? You know, uh, I I think probably the worst example of this, or maybe the best example of how bad it's gotten, is social media. Uh, I don't know how many times something's come across Facebook, for instance, And it's some story, some picture, some something that's not true. And everybody shares it, and everybody's either excited about it or up in arms about it, and you find out that it never was true. Uh, That's the hard part with all of this information. Uh, You know, when I get information from, um, you know, somebody I know and trust and I've known for years, it's a little easier to say, okay, I believe that because I trust this person. Um, However, Siri's not always right. Uh, And so we have that issue of of how do we know what information to trust. But that actually is not a brand new issue. Uh, In Christianity and the church, uh, that's been important since the beginning of the church. Um, It's just now with all the information at our fingertips, it's it's much more clear um, and maybe much more dire uh, now that we know what the truth is. Um, There's, there's, you know, a multitude of, of websites and preachers and books Um, and YouTube uh, stars that have all kinds of things to say about God and the church and the Bible. Uh, So we always have to ask ourselves what's true and what's not. Now, I don't have time to go over everything that's true and everything that's not, but I do want to give you just one little litmus test. Um, If you're ever reading a book, uh, watching a YouTube video, listening to a preacher, and they tell you, come to Jesus, because when you come to Jesus, life is a piece of cake. That's a false prophet. Don't listen to that person anymore. Uh, That's one test that we can make. Um, And and here's why I bring that up. Today we're talking about adversity. We're talking about troubles. Uh, We're talking about trials. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we face adversity. All of Jesus' followers did. The disciples did. Um, Sometimes extreme trials and adversity like I know I've never seen in my life. Uh, and Jesus actually in John 16.33 gives us a promise. In this world, you will have troubles. You will have trials. You will have adversity. So what do we do about it? That's what I want to talk about today. 
Some of you uh, have probably known a person. Uh, in fact, all of us have probably known someone who can go through an extreme trial. They can go through uh, treatments for their cancer with a smile on their face and praising God the whole time. Now, we also probably all know someone who can sprain their ankle and it's the end of the world, huh? What's the difference? It's not the circumstance. The difference is their attitude. The difference is the mindset that they go into it with. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about the attitude that overcomes adversity. The attitude that overcomes adversity. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to look, we're back in 1 Samuel um, in our study of David. Uh, We're in 1 Samuel chapter 23 today. And it's been our practice uh, that we study a story in the life of David, and then we go the following week into a psalm that has to do with that story, that relates to that story in the life of David. Well, today we have an instance, um, we don't have these very often in the scripture, but we have a psalm that goes with the story today, and it is so closely related that the introduction of the psalm tells us that this is the exact story that this psalm goes with. It says, during this moment in David's life, this is what he wrote. This is the song that he wrote at this point in his life. And so what's so neat about that is today we we can look at this situation in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and we can say, okay, what's God doing? How's, How's God acting in this situation? But then we can look and say, what was David thinking as he went through it? What was his attitude? What was his thoughts? So today we're going to do something a little different. I'm not separating out the story and the psalm. We're going to look at them both today. We're going to look at the situation and how God is working, and then we're going to look at David's point of view, his perspective, and how he feels and how he thinks during this time. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 23, but we're also going to be looking at Psalm 54. So I want to begin by reading through that psalm today, and then we'll go back and look at the story and then talk about his attitude once again at the end. So in Psalm 54, we have the introduction that says, For the choir director with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is not David hiding among us? So we know exactly what this psalm is about. So this is what he says. God, save me by your name and vindicate by your might. God, hear my prayer. Listen to the words from my mouth. For strangers rise up against me, and violent men intend to kill me. They do not let God guide them. God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. He will repay my adversaries for their evil. Because of your faithfulness, annihilate them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, because it is good. For he has rescued me from every trouble, and my eye has looked down on my enemies. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, we ask that you would open up your word to us. I know that each and every one of us is here for a reason. It's not a mistake that we're sitting here together today. I know that you want to speak. I know that you want to do a work in our hearts. I know that you want us to go from this place changed, closer to you. Uh, More and more of the people you desire us to be and more and more a light in our dark world. And so I ask that you would open us up and we would be willing and receptive to what it is you want to teach us and what it is that you want to say today. Father, bless our time with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember the story from last week, we started 1 Samuel chapter 23, uh, where David and his men are hiding out. And uh, David hears that the people of one of the towns of Judah, Keilah, uh, are being attacked by the Philistines, and the Philistines are raiding. 
And if you remember, David and his men are hiding out and they're trying to stay away from Saul. And so David goes to God and he says, God, should we go rescue these people? And God says, yeah, go rescue them. And so David goes to his men. He says, guys, we're going to go rescue the people. And the men say, are you sure? Because we're hiding right now, trying not to die. So it's probably not a good idea to go rescue a town. And David says, well, let me ask God again. <laughs> and so he asks God again, and he says yes. And so they go, and they're victorious, um, and, and, and they drive the people out. And then Saul finds them and comes after them again. And that's where we pick up the story today in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And it's interesting because between that trial and the trial that we're about to talk to, the first thing that God does is he gives David this encouragement at the very beginning. Look at verses 15 through 18. It says, David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horish when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horish and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterward, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. Before the trial, in between trials, um, God sends David's good friend, his best friend, Jonathan, to encourage him in the middle of this. Now, this uh, little uh, meeting shows great faith, uh, great trust in one another. Because if you think about it, um, if Saul finds out that Jonathan's meeting with David, he's dead. In fact, Saul's already tried to kill him once for this, remember? And David, if he's meeting up with Jonathan, who knows that Saul's not right around the corner waiting for him? And so they have great trust in each other. It's this great relationship, and it's encouraging. He, he, he reminds, Jonathan reminds David, he said, God's still in control of this. I know it looks bad right now, but remember what God promised. You're going to be king of Israel. God's got this. And he encourages him. This is so important, and we need this. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This encouragement that we need often comes before the trial. Uh, there's been several times in years of ministry that uh, I've known people that have been in the church, a part of the church, and for whatever reason disappear for a long period of time. Just things going on in their life and they stop showing up for church. And then all of a sudden at some point they kind of make a new commitment. They say, you know what, we're going to be back, we're going to be here, we're going to be involved. And then sometimes, pretty soon after that, Something really difficult and something really hard happens in their life. And usually they'll come to me and say, Pastor Shane, I just got things back together. I just got back in church. I just rededicated myself to God. And now look what's happened to me. And I often share with them, you know, God knew this trial was coming. And he has a plan. He has a purpose in it. And so he sent you support and encouragement. He got you back in the church because you need us. We need each other before this trial ever even begins. And so that's what we have at the beginning of the story is this encouragement because things are about to get really hard. Now, the second thing that we see in this story is just an incredible uh, uh, betrayal, this painful betrayal. If you look at verses 19 through 23, it says, Some Ziphites came up to Saul in Gibeah and said, David is hiding among us in the strongholds of Horish and in the hill of Hakalah, south of Jeshimon. Now, whenever the king wants to come down, let him come down. Our part will be to hand him over to the king. May you be blessed by the Lord, replied Saul, for you have shown concern for me. Go and check again. 
investigate where he goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he is extremely cunning. Investigate all the places where he hides, then come back to me with accurate information, and I'll go with you. If it turns out he really is in the region, I'll search for him among the clans of Judah. So they went to Ziph ahead of Saul. I don't know if you realize it or remember from last week, but David's in the land of Judah. Uh, that's his tribe. That's his people. And the Ziphites are part of the tribe of Judah. They're in the land of Judah. This is David's people. This is David's family that's betraying him. Last week, we saw that the people of Keilah were willing to give up David to Saul, but it was a little different story. Uh, David had come and rescued them, but Saul was heading there to wipe out their entire city. Uh, And they had reason to be afraid, because if you remember the chapter before, Saul came and wiped out an entire city of priests. So they knew he wasn't afraid to come wipe out their city. And so in the midst of that, they said, we'll hand David over to Saul to save our lives. Now, the story in Ziph is a little bit different, isn't it? They, want, they go and find Saul. They go looking for him. They're like, Saul, guess what? David's in our area. He's around our place. He's in our town. People have seen him. So, so come down and we'll hand him over to you. They go looking for the opportunity to betray David. He went to the land of Judah to find some allies, but he found quite the opposite in this situation. That's why it's so important what we're taught in Psalm 33. If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 33, David is in this wilderness basically alone, looking for some kind of support, some kind of help, some allies in this situation, and he doesn't find any. That's why we need to remember Psalm 33, verses 16 through 18, 16 through 19. It says, A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. Sorry about that, Scott. (laughs) But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Good thing David doesn't need an army to deliver him, huh? Because he doesn't have that right now. So then with this betrayal, it leads into, into Saul coming down in these this, this, this overwhelming circumstance, this adversity that he goes through. In verses 24 through 26, it says, Now David and his men were in the wilderness near Mound, in the Arabah, south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to look for him. When David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Mound. Saul heard of this and pursued David there. Saul went along one side of the mountain, and David and his men went along the other side. Even though David was hurrying to get away from Saul, Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. It's great drama, isn't it? It's great storytelling. You can picture it almost. There's this hill, there's this mountain, and on one side, David's trying to escape because he knows Saul's pursuing, and on the other side is Saul's men, and, and no matter how hard David and his men pressed forward, Saul's men continue to catch up. They're getting closer and closer and closer. I can't imagine the way David feels here in these overwhelming circumstances, and especially since David has developed a good plan. David has a good strategy right now. If you look back earlier in the story, verses 13 and 14, uh, we see that David went to his own people, like we talked about before. 
David has moved from place to place. He doesn't ever stay in the same place, so they can't find him. He goes to deserts and, and hill countries where there's not people living, where they can hide. And then when they do take refuge, they take refuge in strongholds, in places that his small group of men can defend against an army. If you remember, David is, is, has a great military mind. He was the greatest military leader in Israel not long before this. And he's come up with a great plan. He's come up with a great strategy. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong? Why, why isn't David able to, to, to figure out the situation? Why isn't David able to escape Saul? Because God will never give us more than we can handle, right? We get that phrase uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 doesn't say exactly that. Here's what it does say uh, in verse 13. It says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Passage is talking about temptation and it's talking about God's role in delivering us. And that's very different from God will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, it's quite the opposite, because if you look at the previous verse in verse 12, it says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. (laughs) Whoever thinks that he can handle this, whoever thinks that this is within his grasp and his abilities, be careful, because that's the first step of falling flat on your face. God will never put us in a situation that we can't overcome because we overcome it by putting our faith in him to deliver us. If God never gives us a situation we can't handle, that doesn't build faith in him. It builds faith in our abilities. It makes us stand there and go, I got this. I can handle this. God will never give me more than I can handle, so I can do this. That's not the case. We overcome those, those, those situations by putting our faith in God, which leads us to where this story ends. If we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 23, Uh, last few verses in there. It says, Then a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, because the Philistines have raided the land. So Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to engage the Philistines. Therefore, that place was named the Rock of Separation. From there, David went up and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. David's incredible military mind, all his strategy, everything that he had planned out was failing. He was running on one side of the mountain. They were catching up to him on the other. And at the last minute, what happens? God delivers him. In fact, God uses the Philistines to deliver David. Did you pick that up? The messenger comes and they say, Saul, the Philistines are raiding our land. So Saul says, ah, I'm going to get him next time. We got to go back. God uses the Philistines to deliver David. He's rescued, not by his great mind or his incredible strategy, but because God steps in and God intervenes. Now, we've seen how God's been working in this great trial, in this adversity um, in David's life. But now, like I said earlier, we have one of those great instances where we get to see how David's feeling, what he's thinking as he walks through all of this. David's attitude in the midst of this adversity. I want to invite you to turn with me again to Psalm 54. We're told in the introduction that this psalm is what David wrote 
This is David's thoughts and his feelings in response to that situation, in response to this incredible adversity. And the first thing that we see, as we often do in the Psalms, is David crying out to God. In verses 1 through 3, he says, God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. God, hear my prayer. Listen to the words from my mouth. For strangers rise up against me and violent men intend to kill me. They do not let God guide them. David here invokes the name of Yahweh, the great name of God in the Old Testament. And what he's doing there is invoking the presence of God. He's saying, God, I need you here. God, I need your presence. God, please come. Please show up here and now in this situation. Have you ever felt that way before? That you cry out to God, God, where are you? I need you. Come here. Be here. Step into this. Work here. Now, David talks about strangers, strangers pursuing him, wanting him dead. Um, So what does he mean by that? There's Saul, who's not a stranger to him. And then there's the Ziphites, his own tribe, his own people. So who are these strangers? Well, the strangers are those who have no regard for God, those who have no respect for God. Did you pick that up? They do not let God guide them. We're taught in Matthew chapter 7, That those who have no regard for God are strangers to him. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 has those, those, those frightening words where God says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those are strangers to God. So the first thing that David does in this situation is he cries out to God. He lays it all out before God. He, he cries out to God. He tells him, this is the situation, Lord. This is what I'm caught in. This is how I feel right now. This is what's happening to me right now. Come, show up. Come. So then the next thing we see in his prayer is the word Selah. Now admit it. You ever read the Psalms and just skip over that word all the time? It's kind of off to the right, and it's in italics. It's not important, right? Uh, Selah is this great word. I could preach a whole sermon on the word Selah. It's all over the Psalms. And what it means is to stop, to rest, to be still. So you can picture that as David's praying that prayer. He's saying, God, I need you to show up. These men who care nothing about you are chasing after me. Lord, I need you to deliver me. I need you to be here with me. Now, have you ever been in the midst of a trial, um, in some adversity, and people tell you, you know what, you need to just stop, and you need to take a breath? I hate it when people say that. I absolutely hate it. Because in the midst of the trial, I need to, I need to say, here's what I'm going through. I need to say, God, you've got to be here. You've got to show up, because this stuff is a mess right now. I need to whine for a little while to God. And that's the way the psalm starts. And after you pour out that stuff and after you lay it on, on his feet and you say, God, this is what's going on and you, I need you. Then you can go, whew, <laughs> I had to get that off my chest. I had to get that off my chest. Cry for him to come to your aid. Cry to him and let him know how horrible your circumstance is. Whine and cry to God. And once that's off your chest, take a minute. Rest, breathe, think. And here's what we think about the next part of the psalm. Verses 4 through 7 says, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. 
He will repay my adversaries for their evil because of your faithfulness. Annihilate them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, because it is good. For he has rescued me from every trouble and my eye has looked down on my enemies. In the midst of the problem, focus on God. That's another cliche, isn't it? Have you heard that one before and it's upset you? Focus on God. What does that mean? I'm in the midst of this incredibly intense situation right now. What does it mean to focus on God? Well, what's great about this psalm is we get some specifics. We get to see how David focused on God. In verse 4, he reminds himself that he is not the one who rescues. It's not on his shoulders. God is the rescuer. God is the deliverer. God is the savior. It's not on my shoulders. I'm not the one who rescues. It's the first thing we need to focus on about God. Then in verse 5, he says that, that God is righteous. He remembers the righteousness of God, that God will not let evil continue forever. He will not let it go on because of your righteousness, God. Because of your righteousness, annihilate them. God is righteous and he will not allow evil to continue. One day, our enemy, the devil, will be annihilated because God will not allow evil to continue forever. He is righteous. In verse 6, we see that we worship God because he is good. I love that David in this passage brings a free will offering. There's lots of different offerings in the Old Testament. There's an offering that you bring because you're guilty. You have to bring a sacrifice to pay for your sins. There's an offering that you bring to say thanks to God because he's done something incredible. You notice that David doesn't bring the thank you offering. He brings the free will offering, which is the offering of saying, God, you're good. I don't, I don't have any guilt I need to relieve right now. I'm not coming just because you did something for me and I want to tell you thank you. I am here to worship you because you are God and you are good. That's the offering that David brings. He's not trying to coerce God. He's not saying, hey, if you deliver me, then I'll bring the offering. He's just saying, in the midst of this circumstance, I will worship you because you are God and you are good. And lastly, in verse 7, he remembers all that God has done for him in the past. He remembers God's goodness and his faithfulness throughout all of his life. And so when we come to these trials and this adversity, We focus on God, but we have something very specific. It's not an idea of just sitting there and going, okay, God, God, I'm focusing on God. These are specific things about God that we remember and we remind ourselves in the midst of adversity. You are not the one who rescues. It's not on your shoulders. God is righteous and this evil will not continue forever. God is worthy of worship because he's good. And God has rescued you in the past. He's been faithful to you in the past, and that will not end today. So Psalm 54 shows us the amazing attitude that has the power to overcome the incredible adversity of 1 Samuel 23. I've been through some hard things in my life, been through some difficult times, some probably harder than some of you, and some things not near as hard as some of you. But I have never been on one side of a mountain while a man and his army are trying to kill me from the other side of the mountain. This is incredible adversity, and this is the attitude. This is the thought process. This is what brings David through that. But what do we do with it today? 
At the beginning of the message, I quoted a verse for you uh, from John 16.33, but I just took a little chunk out of the middle of the verse. Let me give you the rest of the verse today. John 16.33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This world is full of pain and suffering. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. This world is full of adversity. There's trouble around every corner. But Jesus has already overcome. The Bible tells us that he is victorious and he is seated at the right hand of God. Anything we face, any adversity, any trial in this world has been overcome by Jesus Christ. He has conquered it. Take heart. I have overcome the world. He's already won the victory. So no matter what adversity we experience, we can have the proper attitude to face it because we are in Christ. I want to end with one last passage that I think kind of sums all of this up today in Romans chapter 8. This is our attitude. This is the attitude that overcomes adversity. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers, height, depth, any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the attitude that overcomes adversity while we walk on this earth. Amen? Stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Father, as we come today, I I don't know uh, where each and every one of us is at. I know uh, there's probably brothers and sisters here among us that are just really enjoying life right now. Just are in a season of, of blessing and peace. Father, I thank you for that. I ask that they would get the rest and the encouragement that they need during that time. But Father, I also know that there are some of us here today that are in the midst of adversity, whether it's physical or spiritual whether it's from the depths of our heart or from the world around us. I know that there are those of us here who are hurting, who are overwhelmed, who have been betrayed. Father, I ask that we would find our peace in you. Father, give us the proper attitude, an attitude that understands who you are as God. An attitude that understands not only who you are and how powerful you are, but your goodness to us. An attitude that would see that the God who gave his one and only son for us would not leave us now, has not forgotten about us in the midst of this trial, 
the God who loves us in this way, what, what will you withhold from us? How will you abandon us? What power here on earth has power over you? Father, keep us ever mindful of that in every season of life, but especially in the dark days, in the hard times. Thank you, Father, that we have that truth. Lord, it breaks my heart to think that there are those around us in our world, in our families, our workplace, our neighborhood, and maybe some here with us today that don't have that truth to lean on, that are not confident that you have loved them and rescued them, that you watch over them and that you have only good planned for them. Heavenly Father, we know that is true, but that is only true in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven that can provide our salvation, our restoration to you, our rebirth into the family of God. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone. It is through his sacrifice, his death on the cross for the payment of our sin, his resurrection for our new life, your Holy Spirit living in us, that we have confidence that you have overcome the world and therefore we have nothing to fear. So Father, if there are those here today, I ask that they would hear those words loud and clear. That you love the world so much that you gave your one and only Son so that whoever, anyone, who would put their faith in him has escaped death, has overcome death, and has eternal life in you. Father, thank you for that truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your deliverance and your faithfulness. Thank you that you've never left us and you will never forsake us. Lift us up in the trials. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.